Curtain with your host, Jane Harris and Kathy Barrett. Hi, everybody. This is Kathy Barrett. And I'm Jane Harris. And Behind the Curtain is a show about how we navigate down the not-so-yellow brick road of life. And life is something you really shouldn't be doing alone. So we invite you to spend the next 30 minutes with us while we reveal what's behind the curtain. Great. So, Queenie, how was your weekend? Oh, God, I can't even remember. I forgot you were going to ask me that question. (laughs) Uh, Do you know I can't remember? Oh, my God, it's only Tuesday. So maybe you want me to, why don't you tell me what the highlight of your weekend? Okay. Talk about not revealing what's behind the curtain. I I apologize. (laughs) I'll reveal later, I promise. Uh, It was great. I went to uh, a birthday party. Um, I can't believe it, but one of my nieces turned 30, which is a shocker in itself. And uh, it was lovely. It was Mm. really, really nice to connect with her. And we had many lovely moments together. So I would have to say that's the highlight of um, of my weekend. Oh, and, very uh, good. Actually, wait. The highlight of my weekend is that I had I I finally I had this big huge pile of clothes at the end of the bed, and Richard said, you know, soon we won't be able to see the TV. <laughs> I just one thing I want to do a show about. When you take your clothes off, what does everyone do? Because you, know, you just pile the clothes all over the bedroom, right? So, uh, and, you know, they kept falling over and whatever. I'm thinking, oh, my God, I really don't want to deal with this. And then, uh, so that's what I, on Saturday I said, okay, that's right. They're all, it's all going in the laundry, and I'm, I'm going to just wash the whole thing. And that's what I did. It was so fabulous. We now have nothing at the end of the bed. <laughs> Do you not have a hamper? No idea. Huh? Do you not have a hamper? No, we do. We do. No hamper. Okay. But you know what? I I think to myself, it's ridiculous to wear something once and wash it. I don't don't do that. Okay. I I mean, that's ridiculous. I have an idea for you, though. Yeah, please. What? Hang it up, then. No, but I don't want to hang it in with the clean clothes. I don't know. I get them all mixed up. Huh? Put it towards the end of the rack. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Yeah, I could do that. All right. I don't know. I don't. All right. For next time, we'll try this. <laughs> I now that we told everybody about our dirty laundry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we need to have a whole show on that, though. Really, at some point, can we? Can, okay. can you put that down, Kathy? Okay. Absolutely. I will. Airing our dirty laundry. I'd love that. That's brilliant. Dirty okay. laundry. I love the title. Okay. Yeah. Got great. It. Back to you. Yes. All right, so let's move on to today's topic. Not only dirty, but fear of moolah uh, or of money, part two. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. We've got this wonderful woman on again this week, Tabor Butler. And uh, please call us in and uh, with any comments or questions. And the number to call in is 714-409-0539. And Kathy, you'll have to watch the switchboard because, as you know, I'm having technical problems this end. So. Yes, I will. Technical problems as well as laundry dilemma. Yes. Okay. Exactly. It's all happening. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, do you remember did, what, what did you take away from last week's show? Anything? Well, I, yeah, I, I was thinking about that actually. What did I take away? So, I thought of a quote. 
um, that came to mind, uh, what, given what Tibur was talking about last week, because I think that what I learned was that um, just knowing a few simple tips um, and really was very, it was like, oh, well, this is a quote. So talent hits a target no one else can hit. Genius hits a target no one else can see. So I'm going to call Tabor a genius because I think she hit on things that most of us cannot see, that I certainly could not see. And that was really freeing for me, and I really was, yeah, that's what I took away. Ah, excellent. Very good. Well, I kind of realized how, how much fear I had around what to do with money and uh, trusting and, and things of that nature. And what I really saw was my reluctance to the word retirement. You know, there are, like, so many hard questions around that, and I can feel that my brain doesn't want to go there. It, like, it goes there for a fleeting second, and then it tries to go someplace else. So it just really kind of made me aware that there was a bigger fear than I had originally thought. So I'm actually going to break through it later on in today's show. I decided to, when we get to uh, doing her dream plan, I'm going to jump into it. Wow. Wow. Does that mean I don't have to do it? Thank God. Well, that's up to you, my darling. You're going to put your little ass ass on the line? I'm going to put my little ass on the line, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so moving I know, on now. Because um, I know I'm that gonna, you told me you wanted me to do it, but that, but you've taken that over, so I'm I'm thrilled. Yeah, I just I think we both talked, you know, before the show, and I I I kind of you know shared this uh, with Tabor as well that you know we both had this reluctance to doing it, and you know when I feel that kind of like fear come up for me. I really it it forces me to dig into it more. Like I just because I don't want to do it, then I want to do it. Because mm. otherwise, then I'm not moving through anything. You know. Mm. So anyway, that's what I came to this morning. But so let us move on now and uh, bring on Tabor Butler. She's a registered financial financial excuse me advisor and our guest once again for part two of Fear of the Moolah show. And Tabor is the founder and creator of the Butler Group. You can find out more information by going to the butlergroup.biz, B-I-Z. So welcome back, Tabor. Thank you so much. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Jane. Hi, everybody. Hello. Lovely to have you on again. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well, last, last week we looked at our relationship to money, and we both took Tabor's questionnaires, and Jane and I came away really being on the flip side of each other. I was more of a spender. And Jane was more of a saver, but at the core of our numbers, there was a little something, something about not feeling enough. Yeah. Mm. So how can we address that, Tabor, that not feeling enough in terms of our money, and what's the solution to that? Okay, so, you know, first I want to reassure reassure you that's a feeling that most people have, actually. I, mean, I think very small percent of the population feels like they have it totally in control around money. But from my perspective, and I, I guess I should say this, if it, it was kind of between the lines last time, um, and maybe I'll just flat out say I take a 
bit of a metaphysical approach to money. So for me to answer the question of how do you manage this feeling of not enough, there are two components. One is emotionally based, and then the other piece is reality-based. So, And the emotionally based piece is where I go a little metaphysical. But in, in terms of the reality, when, when I work with somebody, the, you know, especially if you're feeling like you're, you're not enough, it's not just that you don't have enough money, it's like you're not enough. The first thing we need to do is to look at the reality, the what is so of your actual financial situation. And this is where I help people to create a budget. Um, I encourage them to look, and I did last time, I encourage you to look at your money every day um, and, and to track what you're bringing in and what you're spending out. And then that way you can see whether this feeling of not enough is a disconnect from reality or whether it's some kind of a well-based, intuitive understanding that's actually a little bit of an alert signal to you. So there are two parts. There's the reality, and then the second component of not enough is uh, the part where we need to clarify, well, in what way or in what dimension is there not enough? What do you mean by that? And what is the impact of that not enoughness in your life? And then once you get clarity there, I kind of ask you to move over and um, look at an area where you are enough, where it's clear to you that you feel like you have enough. And, and I, what I want you to do is explore, what does that feel like inside when you know you're enough? What, you know, just the, that even little beginnings of what does it feel like to be powerfully good in a particular area? And then what we do is start doing some practices, some exercises that expand that. I'm feeling enough, I'm feeling powerful, and bridging it all the way over to the area of your finances where you don't feel so good because if you can feel good and powerful in one area of your life then it's just a matter of kind of rewiring the conversation and lo and behold really much more quickly than most people know you can feel good in another area of your life well so, that's very similar actually, to watching uh, i'm sorry it's very similar to if if you're watching your weight or you want to lose weight you know just being responsible and writing down everything that you're eating so it's the same thing yep. with spending you know, to recognize yes. what your your patterns are. Okay. Exactly. And exactly. Um, I, I thought your question about what is your first money memory, really interesting. And I think I just mentioned at the end of the show last week that I spoke about my grandfather um, showing me a money tree that he made in the backyard. And I could see it really being the impetus for me to not only, like, expect money to be available to me at all times, but, but that it kind of lit my dreamer side, you know, it ignited my dreamer side, I should say. So tell us why you feel that's such an important question and how that plays out in, in the way we deal with money. Well, you're, you've absolutely you've said how it works. I mean, your earliest money, money memory, whether you're aware of it or not, is either completely or probably or partially driving your actions and your headset around money. Um and so it's it's playing out today. And at some point you had asked me what was my earliest money memory. And, and I was thinking about it and I was remembering when I was in the second grade, my family moved to a new city and they put me in a new girls' school. It was a private school. And we were doing this tumbling exercise down a very, very long mat during gym. It was like mandatory. You had to do somersault over somersault. And 
about three-quarters of the way down the mat, I heard my classmates starting to laugh, and they were laughing at me. And when I got up, I realized somebody told me they were laughing at me because I had a hole in my underpants, and I didn't know it. And at Mm. that moment, I was so deeply ashamed, so shamed, that I actually decided that my parents did not have the financial wherewithal to take care of me. And it set up this fierce drive to be financially independent. And the minute college was over, I left my Massachusetts college and my family in Pennsylvania, and I came to New York and started working for myself at age 21. I've been married twice, but through, and I'm not now, but through the, out the entire time, there's been this, this notion that I have to earn my own money and have some left over as well. And it all comes out of that sort of early sense that there isn't enough money in the family and that this is what I have to do to take care of myself. Mm. Wow. That's, that's wow. pretty powerful. I think you, know, you also you have, have a minute, I'll tell you. I'm sorry? Oh, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, if, if you have a minute, one, you know, another really striking story, one of my clients is a woman who earns 225000 250000 a year. She's single. She's in her 40s. Her expenses aren't really high, and yet she's constantly carrying $100,000 in debt. And every year she gets out of debt, and then she goes back in debt. And she couldn't figure out why. So she came to me, and we did this early money memory exercise. And what she remembered was that when she was a little girl, her grandfather would come visit on the weekend. And she was kind of his special, and he would give her a little bit of money, some coins and stuff. But he wouldn't give it to the two other siblings. Who knows why? And the mother would find out, and she would say to this client of mine, Huh, well, you think you're the only one. And then when this woman was in her teens, she got herself in debt somehow, and her mother just looked at her and said, don't worry about it, everybody's in debt all the time. So now this woman found it very easy to attract money, to create money. She could consistently earn a high salary. Making money wasn't her issue, but she kept spending everything that she earned and more, and she what we discovered is she was giving $300 gifts to her hairdresser every time there was a dinner. She would be the one to treat everybody, and she had no idea what she was doing. She felt so guilty about bringing that money in that she could not get it out of her hands fast enough. Mm, And besides, her mom told her, it doesn't matter if you carry debt. So, like, she was really in a quandary, and so we... We, you know, we really worked with her to reframe and to help fill her up so that she, there were other ways that she could feel full. She didn't have to spend her money on everybody to feel love. Mm. Wow, wow, that's something. I see. Uh, let, we have a caller, so I would like to um, bring them on. Let's okay. See we can do. Hello? Hello? Hello. Can you hear me? Hi. Hi, we have a caller. Hi. I'm sorry, what's your name? Om Kari. Om Kari. How are you? I'm just fine. How are you? Uh, we're fine. We're great. Welcome to the show. What can we Thank what can you. we do for you today? Well, I was listening to Tabor talk about this whole money thing and I realized that I actually have a lot of confusion around money. There have been times in my life when I've had a lot of money and times in my life when I've had very little money and Somehow I never seem to feel comfortable in either place. And I just, I, I, I would like to sort of have some idea of a way to balance that out so that money isn't this 
enormous thing hanging over my head, whether I have a lot or a little. You know, I, I'm not being as clear as I'd like, but I just find it really confusing. I don't know why money is so hard. Saber, do you want to address? Yeah, do you want me to take a crack at that? So, you know, Carrie, I would, I would actually say, I mean, if I were, you know, talking to you one-on-one, I would begin with getting very clear about what you need for a budget. And maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but I, that's the absolute first piece. It's like, what do you need for your survival? Like, what's your rent? What's your food? You know, what are all those basics that, that keep you out of trouble so you can manage your day-to-day? And then having sorted that that out, you know, how much might you need to save or set aside so that if you had a lean period, it would carry you through. So that, you know, just from an administrative point and a reality point, you really know that there's enough to cover the basics. Then you could start thinking about, well, when you're really earning a lot of money, you know, where do you want that to go? What do you what do you want to do with that? So, you need to you know you need to know that you're actually safe, that you're taken care of with the basics. So you want to you want to get clear on that, and then you want to create a plan for if you do have extra money, where will it go? What will it do? And just that very you know that work diffuses a lot of the emotional confusion it puts you in a place of reality rather than confusion. Um, Kari, what was your first memory of, of money? Do you remember? I, you know, I, I think that actually my first memory of money was being in a store with my mother and looking at something that was on a shelf, thinking 79 cents, wow, that's a lot of money. I mean, I don't remember how old I was. I couldn't have been more than five or six. And I didn't even ask my mother about it. And it wasn't that we didn't have money. We were quite comfortable. But in my head, for some reason, that was just this huge amount of money. And then the next memory I have is actually of being 11 years old and I was graduating from elementary school. And my mother let me go shopping for my graduation dress by myself, which was I'd never, she'd never let me do that by myself. And she actually sent me to Bergdorf's with her credit card and let me buy a dress. And it was such, I mean, I just remember it was such an exciting thing to actually be able oh to, you know, I know, <laughs> I know, it was, a, it was a big deal, it was a big deal, and I remember everything about it, and, you know, and, you know, the dress probably cost, I don't know, maybe, I don't remember exactly how much it cost, but, you know, we're talking a long time ago, it probably cost maybe $50 or something like that, but mm. it, it was a huge amount, and I remember that day thinking back to the 79 cents and thinking, I don't understand money at all. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, you actually have just explained why, you know, sort of the beginnings of what leads to possibly where you are now because there was no framework for this. There was no financial framework for these two experiences for you. Mm. You know, that 79 cents was a lot of money, you know, to a five-year-old on the one hand is, but to a family who's comfortable it wasn't. And then to be sent as an 11-year-old to go buy your own dress with no prior, you know, this is a budget, what do you think would make sense, this is what I think would make sense, let's set this together. You know, there was like no anchoring in sort of an appropriate um, frameworked so that it just left you like, wow, you know, money's expensive, money's this high, and it's it 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 makes it confusing. 
It sounds like there was mixed messages there. Yes, go ahead. Well, I'm not sure really because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't so much mixed messages as there wasn't even really a conversation yeah. about it particularly. I, you know, and, and it wasn't that, I mean, it was, it was, when I was 11, I already, you know, I would babysit for the neighbor's kids. And so I was making, you know, a little bit of money that was my own money. But it was just, I, it was never a conversation. So I sort of kept sort of going along. Yeah, like Kate sort of, said, there was no frame. There was no frame exactly. around anything. There were, yeah. yeah, yeah. There were no, no boundaries around money at all. I just, right. it was either, I, you know, I either had it. You know, once I left home, I either had it or I didn't. But it was not ever something that was really talked mm. about. Was, so, you know, so what Tabor has suggested to you, do you think that's going to be helpful for you? I do, actually. I mean, I, you know, and I have in my head, I could sort of basically say, okay, this is how much I need each month. But it's not as clear as it could be. And I don't think I ever really think about, well, then, you know, how much more would I need if I want to do X, Y, or Z next year or five years from now? I sort of, I well, just... You know, I find money kind of tedious, truth be told. Mm. Well, you know what we found very, very helpful, um, Kari, and we really appreciate your call, and we're, we're going to have to move on now. But what I would suggest is to go to her website, uh, which is thebutlergroup.biz, because there are some wonderful under, um, I think on the left-hand side, uh, it has your wealth IQ, and then when you go on in there, on the right-hand side, there are a bunch of questionnaires, and it's a great way to help you organize your thoughts and start moving that ball forward so that you can you can take a look at those issues and break them down. They're very, very simple steps, so that's that's what we would recommend thank you. you do. Yes, Thanks. and thank you so much for calling. We're thrilled, thank and you. Uh, it was lovely to chat with you, and we hope you'll call again. Okay, thanks. Bye. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Uh, we're talking to Tabor Butler, financial advisor of the Butler Group. Uh, you can find out more information by going to the thebutlergroup.biz, B-I-Z. Uh, before we get to manifesting uh, your dream plan, Tabor, I'd like to inquire about the steps that you take as an investment advisor to check out companies you're recommending your clients to invest in, because that's like a big fear of mine. Okay. So actually, I subscribe to a number of services, which you could subscribe to too, but you just have to pay the money. Um, but some of them, some of them, you may have heard some of the names. There's a company called InvestView, and that looks at the technical charts of what's going on, and you know predicts does the market going to go up or down. Um, I subscribe to something affiliated with TheStreet.com, which is Jim Cramer's group of people. He has a whole group of analysts, and he he, he acts like a wacko on TV at six o'clock at night, but he actually knows. Uh, an awful lot, and he writes um, he writes articles several times during the day that are very helpful. Um, I'm a subscriber to Morningstar.com, which is the leader in assessing mutual funds. I look at Standard and Poor's, so there's several others. But for for people who are individual investors and they want to begin informing themselves, I would suggest you just start with Morningstar.com because there's a version of it that's free. And you can get a lot of information there. Um, so you might just 
start practicing looking at what they offer. They have a five-star system. You probably want to buy things that are three to five stars or start looking at them because then you avoid a lot of risk. Um, And the main thing to look at, I would say, is you want to look at the history of the performance of the investment. And there's a tab that says performance. And you want to compare how is this guy doing versus the S&P market as a whole. It's, you know, really basic common sense. This fund is up 6%, the market's up 4 This is up 10 the market's up 8 You know you're doing better than the market. If the numbers are flipped, then you're not even doing as well as in the S&P 500. So why would you select this particular investment? You know, that is if you're just doing things from a really simple way. Mm. Okay. Mm. Well, that makes sense. Got let my homework cut out for me, do I? <laughs> Queenie, how are you doing there? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm just wondering, um, shall I ask uh, Tabor another question, or do, do we have time for Dream Time now, or what would you like to do, Kathy? Well, what's your? Well, I think. Well, I would. I would love for you. Um, I think you were mentioning something about the regular Joe and right and there. You know, I would go with that, and then I think we're going to have to bring you back another time. Yeah, uh, Tabor, okay. if you're open to okay. that, we we because there's sure. so much to discuss about this, and uh, so let's bring you back to do the dream plan, and we'll just spend okay. a half hour doing that. But uh, James, okay. you, wait, oh yeah. Here? So um, the other question is, you know, because you mentioned last week, you know, if if someone's got two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, you're probably going to get good service. So what about the regular Joe out there that doesn't have a hundred thousand dollars to invest? How does he or she get? looked after and what are the safest investments for those uh to those people to be in right now well you know at this point having done this for more than 14 years the longer i do it the more vanilla i go um and so keeping it simple is probably one of the most important tenants because Unless you're glued to the you know the internet you're not going to have a chance to hop around so there's you know, I always recommend having a combination of stocks, which are all, uh, which are equities, and then bonds, which are fixed income. And a really, there are two really easy ways to do that. One easy way to do it is to buy a mutual fund called PIMCO Real Return, and the ticker symbol, because that's what everybody uses, is P is in Peter, TT is in Tom twice. D is in dog X, so P-T-T-D-X. That's the PIMCO Real Return Fund, and that is a fixed income fund, a bond fund, that is run by Bill Gross, who is the country's largest bond investor. And he, you know, when he speaks, bond, the bond market moves. He basically, He's telling the government what he thinks is happening. People listen to him internationally. He's a very low-key guy, but he's very influential, and his track record is spectacular. So, this morning, just to give you a sense of it, the stock market was up 3%. His bond fund is up 3.29, so his fixed income is ahead of the market right now. His 10-year track record is up 7%. So it's a phenomenal, which means that if you, you know, it's an average of 7% over the last 10 years. Right. And then you would combine that with the S&P 500 index. The S&P 500 has 500 of the country's largest stocks, and so how that goes is how those stocks together go. And there's a the ticker symbol for that, the simple easy one is SPY, 
just SPY is the S&P 500. Um, and I would com- I would have 35 to 50% in the fixed income, and then I'd have the other piece in the SPY. The younger you are, the more aggressive you can be with your money, meaning if the market goes down, the more you can afford to lose. The bigger, you know, then you can have 75% of your money in stocks and 25% in the real return. But if you're in your 60s or you're nervous, then you're going to make it more like 50-50 or 55% stocks, 45% bonds. So think of bonds as kind of the break, the break on, you, you know, the stock side of it. So that's one way to go. And then another way to go. Well, we're going to have to stop now. We have actually a minute remaining. Are you going to leave us with a cliffhanger so everyone everyone will have to turn back in? Uh, But we really thank you for coming on. It's been a wonderful two-part series. We'll contact you and have you on again. And we'll, you know, as I said, there's much to talk about regarding this. But thank you again. Thank you, everyone. Abra Butler, the Butler Group. Ciao. Ciao. Bye. Okay, Jane, again, it was like such a quick show. There's a half hour just flies by. So um, next week, In Us We Trust. Our special guest is Adam Bernstein, BetweenTheWorlds.com. Adam is an international renowned psychic, medium, and healer, and he's going to show us how to strengthen our intuitive side, which will help with picking those stocks and bonds. And my gut tells me it's going to be a great show. Woohoo! <laughs> and we invite you to fan us on Facebook, where our name is behind the curtain. Love you to fan us and, and have us be as, have us be popular. So, and you can also listen to the show again in archives by going to blogtalkradio.com and search for Behind the Curtain. We're on Facebook. If you like us, tell your friends to tune in every Tuesday at noon or listen to us in the archives. And remember, life is something you don't have to do alone. It's been a pleasure to be with you today. I'm Kathy. And I'm Jane. And we're signing off from Behind the Curtain. Behind the Curtain.